0: what's good everybody welcome back to the gifted hoops podcast your host with the most my name is gifted and we're here for episode 15 this is a follow-up to the last episode we had where we were reviewing the 2023 nba season but before we get to the rest of that conversation and my biggest takeaways from that season we have to start here with the jalen brown supermax contract extension Before we get to that, though, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, all things of that nature to the Gifted Hoops podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate the support. And we just hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, so I appreciate that. But with that out the way, let's get right into today's podcast. So Jalen Brown officially assigned a $304 million Supermax with no player option, it's a five year deal and he has a trade kicker on it as well. First, I wanna say shout out to Jalen Brown. Before we talk any basketball, before we talk any hoops, before we break down if I believe he's worth it or not, shout out to Jalen Brown. I love to see black men get paid. I love to see young athletes get paid and Jalen Brown just secured generational wealth for himself and his family he is now currently the highest paid player in the nba and the way that he grew up and all of these things a lot of people counted him out and he's made it to this level of success so big shout out to Jalen brown but let's talk hoops y'all let's talk hoops so to me my gut reaction is this this is bad um i think this is not great for the boston celtics because contributing 35% of your cap to Jalen Brown when you have not super maxed Jason Tatum yet which you probably will is gonna severely hamstring the roster Jason Tatum is gonna be making more than Jalen Brown I would assume because he's the better player and you're gonna have two players making up 70% of your cap which is a wild number I know some people might not understand like what cap space is or how that functions but basically for a team for two players to make 70 percent i want to say that's damn near unprecedented in the nba where you just have two players on your roster making up that much money but essentially when these contracts kick in the talent that boston might still have right now around them that might not be able to be there off the rip because of how much cap's space Tatum and Brown are going to eat up collectively so I really don't know about this move from Boston now I will say this what a lot of people are going to do is focus on Jalen Brown the player and I get that I really really do get that because again to me Jalen Brown is not a top 25 player I don't believe that there's a couple of names I feel like I would take over Jalen Brown but even then When you're talking about a Supermax extension, to me, a Supermax player should be a player that is at the very least top 10. Realistically, I say top 10 because the criteria for that player is obviously going to stretch as far as possible. I would rather you be like a top five caliber player, like a Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Jokic, like that, that caliber of player to give you a supermax but for Jalen Brown I mean to his credit he absolutely qualified for the supermax extension he did make all NBA he averaged 27 points per game last year I'm not knocking Jalen Brown because I know how good of a player he is but at the same time when you look at the league and where the league is going how these younger teams are getting better with size how there's a bunch of versatility ultimately What Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown do, Jason Tatum to me is a better version of Jalen Brown. He might not get to the rim as much as Brown does, but he does all of the other things at a higher level. He's a way better defender, off-ball player, spacer, all of this, and he's a much better playmaker. And that's really the question here, because by Boston paying Jalen Brown a Supermax contract extension, what they're essentially saying is, listen... We believe in Jalen Brown, we believe that we can modify and develop his game to a high level, and we believe in this tandem of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that can come together and win a championship. And I will say this, while I don't believe I would've given Jalen Brown the Supermax, I probably would've traded him, I will say that what matters in the NBA, oftentimes more than anything, is the continuity that each team has, is the continuity of every single team. Because year in, year out, if you look at the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets had continuity with the coaching staff, with the players for like five or six seasons before this. So that gave them a chance to understand how to play together, how to win together, how to lose. And they understood what they needed to do to win a title. And then they added fringe pieces on top of that, to really maximize their roster. Golden State, a team that has been together for super duper long, they have the championship pedigree, they've won greatly, they've lost greatly, but they have the continuity. So by having Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum play together for a super long time, year by year by year, that tandem will get better. They will understand how to better maximize each other, how to find them in the best spots for success. I'll give you that. The only issue though, is Boston has gone as far as they've gone because they've had Jason Tatum, they've had Jalen Brown, but they've also had a complete roster around these guys. Marcus Smart was a big part of this team in terms of his POA defense, his switchability, even on bigs at times, which is just outstanding to see for Marcus Smart. And what goes underrated is the secondhand playmaking and ball handling ability that he brought to boston as an option to go to as well which kind of put jalen brown more in the off-ball role so he could be this guy that catches the ball explodes shoots threes and has a easier role to function in their offense but with smart gone white for right now is essentially taking up that role but Jalen Brown is going to have a lot more expected of him because even if he's in that role now I'm telling you once this team gets three to four years in and those super maxes are both active for Tatum and Brown Brown is going to have to elevate his game in those areas because Boston simply is not going to have the resources to make up for those deficiencies with high level role players because they won't have the money to sign these guys in my opinion obviously I mean two guys eating up nearly 100% of the cap is very, 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 very concerning. But what this is another sign of is Boston is looking at their window and saying, we need to maximize this now. Let's pay Jalen Brown, let's pay Jason Tatum, and let's win with Porzingis right now. So Jalen Brown signing this extension to me puts a lot of pressure on Boston in the short term to win a championship. Because year in, year out, we understand how good Boston has been. We understand how competitive they've been. We understand all of these things. But at a certain point, you have to get it done. So by paying Jalen Brown this much money, this is Boston betting on themselves, betting on their players, understanding that, hey, we might not get another crack at this in free agency. We might not get another player. We might not be able to develop another player like we did for Jalen Brown. Let's just fully maximize the vision. Win, we'll lose, or draw. We're gonna stay committed with what we have, and I, I'm not too mad at that because again, continuity is key. I guess my question would be, how high am I on Joe Missoula figuring it out as a head coach? Again, I do think he was a great offensive-minded coach. I just don't think he was a consistent coach with adjustments and changing that stuff in the playoffs. But to be very fair to Joe Missoula, he did not have the assistance that he wanted initially it was not up to him he had to basically come in and completely take over a team and they basically like tried to keep it as similar as possible but the defensive identity kind of slipped so if you're Boston you hope that you pay Jalen Brown and Tatum they come back next year better Porzingis can offer a lot in your offense And you can really maximize these players on both ends of the floor. And you pray that with Joe Mazzulla coming back for year two, there can be drastic improvements from the roster. So shout out to the Boston Celtics. We'll see how this pans out for them for this upcoming season. I think last year they did have a very impressive season as well. But the inconsistencies in their half-court offense and the chemistry between Tatum and Brown in terms of taking over the games at different points, they still need to figure that out. But shout out to Jalen Brown, because that boy indeed got the bag. But let's transition to something important and something key here. Ja Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. So I first got to say, I first got to say, Ja Morant is a good player. Ja Morant is a really good, really impressive player for the Memphis Grizzlies He was having a solid season to me. I think he could have been more consistent, but it's impossible to talk about John Morant and his impact on the Grizzlies without speaking to his suspension. As we know, John Morant got into trouble initially because he was flashing a weapon on IG Live and the league stepped in. They doled out their you know, rulings on that. John Morant did a press conference with Jalen Rose. They spoke to the things he could do better. And that was that. They go into the playoffs. This team was super depleted in the front court with Brandon Clark tearing his Achilles and Steven Adams also going out due to injury. But they fought a competitive series against that Lakers team with Dylan Brooks being Dylan Brooks' one of the most inefficient players in basketball, John Morant having a hand injury, and JJJ, to his credit, playing consistent defense to where he wasn't fouling out every single game, and Desmond Bain stepping up and being a really productive player. But then in the offseason, well, no, sorry, during the finals, John Morant is caught again on IG Live yet again. So the league steps in. And because of that, they suspend John Morant next season, 2024, for 25 games. Now, let's talk about that real quick, right? 25 games for John Morant. Some people think it should be 30 or 40. Some people think it's too harsh. I am in the middle. Because for me coming in, I believe that John Morant was going to get the full extent of what the NBA wanted to demonstrate. And what people are not talking about, is this suspension automatically takes John Morant out of all NBA considerations, of any award considerations for the next year. He might not even make the all-star game based on the amount of games he's gonna miss. So what I hope for John Morant is he acknowledges and he understands what is at stake for his career, how good of a basketball player he is, and how he directly impacts the Memphis Grizzlies because that's let's not get it twisted John Morant is a special player I really think he's going to be very good he's already shown his rim pressure is one of the best in the NBA the pressure he puts on a defense has been good and even his playoff resiliency in bigger moments we've seen him have high moments in the playoffs but the truth that we have to speak to as well is as good as John Morant is he still has flaws in his game he does like he plays at 100% motor a lot I think he can be crafty around the basket sure but he needs to find a way to be more complete in the half court and with Memphis getting Marcus Smart I think it does help in terms of having a defender and another guy who can space out there but he's not Ty's Jones. He's just not. And Ty's Jones last year, by the numbers, was a better half court player and contributed more to the offense than John Moran. Now, granted, there's a bunch of things you can argue with the play styles, the minutes, all this and all that. But the point is, there's going to be a lot more pressure on John this season. Because after being suspended 25 games, whatever the Grizzlies are at, John Moran's goal is to come back, jail into that team run that team and help them have playoff success yet again. So to me, I'm looking at Ja and I'm hoping that he can figure this out. I wanna be clear. I see a lot of people defending Ja and I'm just not on that. Um, I like Ja Morant a lot, but at the end of the day, you gotta call a spade a spade. When you're given a opportunity and you make a mistake, we all make mistakes. Everyone's human everyone makes mistakes but when you do the same thing again in the span of two months the same exact thing the same exact situation just in a different environment you are not taking it seriously you clearly were not thinking and you just you know did what you did and because of that you're losing out on millions and millions of dollars and again for these athletes This is generational wealth. It really, really is. But for Ja, I really hope that he figures this out because for the Grizzlies to have success, their vision is to build around Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, and JJJ. And Ja being the best he can be on the basketball court is so crucial to all of these things because taking those 25 games away from the Grizzlies, while they've had some success without Ja Morant, remember, Tyus Jones was their guard demonstrating that offense for a lot of the time when Ja was not on the floor. But in these 25 games, you're talking about a Western Conference that significantly got better. We're talking about a Western Conference that had multiple teams fighting to win 40 games, 45 games, 50 games. OKC got better. The Warriors bench, ironically enough, got better. Minnesota, they're going to get better. Houston added a lot of players they're going to get better the competition in the west every year is simply going to get better so if you're John Morant you got to understand how important you are not just to your team but to the NBA because a lot of people look up to John Morant and look at him to be like the face of what the NBA could be in the future and the face of the younger player movements so by John Morant pretty much taking things for granted and getting into the same problems he faced before. It's just not taking it seriously. So 25 games, I think, is a great example to set of, hey, you will miss out on millions and millions of dollars and cost your team a lot of games if you're not playing. So I think it's fair. But again, I like John Morant. I just hope that he's able to really figure out his game, become a better half-court player, become a more consistent spacer, and please slow down because the recklessness from Ja Morant on and off the court is dangerous. I feel like for Ja, if you're consistently going at people 100 miles an hour, you're always landing weird, this and that, this and that, you are putting yourself in risk and danger to potentially really hurt yourself and no longer be the same player that we're projecting you to be. And I think that Ja, is a smart player. I just think he's fearless. And that fearless can be a double-edged sword. Fearlessness is what gives you the confidence to dominate, to conquer, to be a top five, top 10, whatever caliber type of player because you don't have the fear in you telling you, I can't do this, I can't do that. But at the same time, once you get to a higher level and you're playing better competition, you have to pivot away from... Fearlessness to an understanding, to a dissection of a defense, to understand, okay, to be more impactful and effective in these spots, I have to do X, Y, or Z better at a higher level. I can't just go this way because help side is here. And I think John Morant is 100% capable of doing this because again, in the go-to-state series from, from two years ago, I literally saw John Morant figure that warriors defense out but then once they adjusted and made it harder for him before he got injured john Morant was having way more problems so for that memphis team for them to have long-term success it's going to be very reliant on ja figuring that out but also it's not just on ja the jjj stuff is super crucial because as a five i think he has the size to be a great help side defender Physically every year, he's getting stronger. He's being very, very switchable. So having him unlocked at that position with spacing is great from Desmond Bain, but they also need a wing. This Memphis team doesn't have a consistent wing that can shot create and play defense on the other end. And they really need to solve that to be that final piece to the team, because this is a defensive minded team. They just added a defensive player of the year in smart who is great and can play up but ultimately he's not a wing he's still a smaller guard so those are my thoughts on Memphis I do like their team a lot of people once again are going to count them out and say they can't make the playoffs every year they have outperformed expectations even I have counted against them certain years and they've proven me wrong so they have my respect and I do like Memphis and what they're doing I hope that they can shift the culture around from last season and change some stuff so Shout out to them. But now, let's pivot to one of my favorite players in the league and one of the most interesting teams in the league. That's right, y'all. We are talking about Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So from last season, I got to say this, man. I got to say this. Coming in, and this is my age bet. Coming in, I did say I thought the Minnesota Timberwolves could be a top three seed. I did, I did, I really, I I like Gobert a lot. I feel like a lot of people underrate what he did for the Jazz, the way that he carried that defense. And I thought pairing that with a team that has a bunch of size, length, and wings, I thought that could be a really solid team. They did not make a top three seed, but Cat was hurt for the majority of the season. The way they started out their season, I don't think Anthony Edwards was in the best shape to start. Cat was also already dealing with like a virus or something like that. And Gobert just did not know how to fit into that system at all. And they struggled significantly. But once Cat got hurt, it forced that team to figure more things out. They started to take the ball out of D'Angelo Russell's hands more. And they gave it to Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards took a dramatic Leap. He was a much more efficient player. The defense was there. But the bigger thing is the responsibility on his shoulders for what he had to do for that team was there at a much higher level. He was tasked with taking the ball and playmaking more, getting to the rim more, spacing more. Just his offensive responsibilities went up tremendously. But while that's true about Anthony Edwards, Another player that took a dramatic leap that I love is Jaden McDaniels. Jaden McDaniels was so, 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 so good last year. One of the best defenders, the versatility that he was giving them on defense was great. And just watching Jaden and and Ant just want to guard the best players every single possession, seeing them switch out on Luka, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and just really hunting and taking pride in the defensive end was so fun to watch as a fan. So, like, seeing them really figure these things out towards the end of the season was great. And then once they added Cat back, this Minnesota team looked very scary to close out the regular season. And I get it. They didn't make the playoffs as a top six lock. That did happen. But again, that team was figuring things out at the end. And then they go into the play-in game where there's no Jaden McDaniels because he broke his hand. I forget if he played or not there, but he wasn't there for the playoffs. But the point is, in the Lakers play-in game, the effort, like, Cat was playing super well. Anthony Edwards could not buy a basket, but the defense from Ant was was crazy. And Anthony Edwards were also sick in that matchup. So they lose the play-in narrowly, but they survive, and... They make it out of the plan. They make it to the playoffs. And a lot of people have them getting swept by Denver. A lot of people did. A lot of people said this team is not going to stand a chance, which I thought they would maybe get one. But as you watch the series, it became lopsided. But the way they fought every single time, like for Jokic, I think Jokic was the most inefficient version of himself in the playoffs versus this Minnesota team. Rudy Gobert was pitiful on defense to start the year, but towards the end of the year, he really picked it up. He figured out exactly how to fit in their system more defensively. And in that series, he did a really good job in the paint. Currently, Towns was in foul pretty much every game, but I did like some of the efforts that he made on the defensive end. But ultimately, for them to win a game Anthony Edwards was tremendous. And again, in this series, he averaged 30 points per game, just giving them everything that he had. And in that game four, he refused to go home. He really did. He he fought super duper hard. They were down 3-0. They clearly could have just gave up and got swept. But Anthony Edwards fought hard, and that game went to multiple overtimes. And I feel like the playoff resiliency that you saw from Ant just shows the special type of player that he can be. So again, if you are the Timberwolves, the context is Anthony Towns missed the majority of the season. Anthony Edwards took a leap. J.D. McDaniels took a leap. Rudy Gobert started to figure it out at the end of the season. Then you traded D'Lo for Mike Conley, who was a much better fit and a much better playoff performer for that Minnesota team as well. So for them it's like okay we now have a entire offseason to look at the sample size of what worked what did not how can we improve and knowing that knowing that you have a young budding superstar in Anthony Edwards you now have the potential to be a much better team next year right now where do they actually top out i don't know i don't know i I think that I would lean towards them being a top six lock considering the fact that that defense looks absolutely legit and there's more leaps to be made. They were able to retain Nas Reed, who was a tremendous, tremendous player for them last year. Great spacer, great defender, great effort guy who just fits in perfectly to what they want to do. They also kept Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I've been high on since the Pelicans, but it never really, like fully showed itself like that but in the playoffs he had very big moments in the playoffs so I really like what he could be for this team as a backup guard as well I just think this team has the talent like their top six Jaden, Cat, Gobert, Anthony Edwards, Mike Conley, McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, Nas Reed like all the names I just mentioned those names are real names they're good basketball players So I think that that fits in well with their goal and their vision. Now, do I believe that they can win a championship? That is the question. I think they're still young. I think Gobert's getting older. I'm not sure about the timeline. I don't know if they can win a title with this current build. I think some things have to change. Currently, Towns might have to get traded to accomplish that vision. I don't know, but ultimately, I think their goal is to get better with the process and go further than they did last year. They made the playoffs. Great. Great Minnesota. You made the playoffs. Now let's get out the first round and really compete. Let's aim for a conference finals. Let's let's aim for the second round. Let's let's make dramatic progress from last season cuz that's really what the trade is going to be judged on. Are you getting better? Are you making progress? Are you a top six slot? If they did all of this just to be this playing team that barely gets in, it's a failure, right? So for me, seeing them have those challenges addressed this season is going to be the number one thing that I look at. But I really look forward to Anthony Edwards more and more and more and more and more because Anthony Edwards is just a very fun player. He tries extremely hard. He has a great... Personality, but on the court, he's a flat-out bucket, and he's relentless. And again, in that playoff run, they really gave the keys to Ant, and Ant was delivering night in and night out. And this is, is again, a younger team that doesn't have the continuity just yet with their current build, but I think the answer is you filled it out, you work hard during the offseason, you work on trying to make things fit, the chemistry of the team is going to be better. And year two, Rudy Gobert, is something I am super interested in. I'm going to be watching more games from the Timberwolves this season. I'm literally gonna have a spreadsheet where I track the amount of games I watch for pretty much all of the teams I watch this year because I have to see what year two Gold Bear looks like because ultimately you can say what you want about this team maybe not having great guard POAs. I understand this, but it's so dramatically better than whatever he had in Utah, and I really feel like the first year he he just wasn't trying to step on people's toes. He was trying to figure it out, and towards the end of the season, you saw him kind of figuring it out. So now that you have an entire offseason to like rest and really like lock in on these things, I think they can be a very productive basketball team. So that's what I'm looking forward to, and I also hope that Cat can just play better. I like Cat a lot offensively he's good but year in year out in the playoffs he he just winds up being a dud on the offensive end the rebounding was sensational from him in the playoffs and you saw the effort but I need him to become a better and more consistent offensive player if this Minnesota team is gonna realize their dream of going further in the playoffs and potentially winning a championship in the next couple of years but it's more likely that he'll probably get flipped or traded but Overall, those are my thoughts on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Another takeaway from last season that I have has to deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is a team that worked extremely hard to get to where they got. They were a great team during the regular season. The defense was absolutely legit with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. But ultimately, we came in the season understanding what a flaw for this team would be, and that would be the three position. The wing, where, where is the wing that can play defense, shoot threes, and play hybrid in between the front court and the back court? Because ultimately, what Cleveland is, is a backcourt of dynamic offensive players who can get cooked on defense, and the front court is a great defensive combination that sometimes will not be respected almost at all on the offensive end. It's literally inverted. There's there's like high-powered offense from the backcourt, high-powered defense from the frontcourt. But on the other side, they're damn near liabilities on the other end. And I think Evan Mobley is significant in this because I think he's really good. I think he can actually develop himself to be an offensive positive. I think there's some great things he can do. But at the same time, I can't lie, Jared Allen in the playoffs, as much as I like Jared Allen, He was getting dogged out by Mitchell Robinson versus the Knicks. He could not get an offensive rebound. Right now during this podcast, if you listen closely, that right there, y'all, that is the sound of Jared Allen giving up another offensive rebound to Mitchell Robinson. That sound right there, that's what that sound was. Like, it was a very embarrassing spot for him, but at the same time, again, Continuity. They've only played one season together. JB Bickerstaff, I think during the regular season was an okay coach, kind of got exposed a lot harder in the playoffs. And they just simply did not have consistent creation because the spacing was so rough and ragged. And to answer that, they got Max Strews, who is an inconsistent guy but is known to be a spacer that teams will respect from time to time. And they also got George's Niang, I'm pretty sure, who can be a phenomenal space. I mean, he was he was really good on the Sixers in that type of role as well. The only problem I have is these guys that they got are not like these potent defensive pieces that are switchable that work in their scheme. They're just not like they're they're good, sure. Like they're solid. I can't, you know, take that away from them, but it's not like this great combination of talent to really answer what they need like this team truthfully needs like a Paul George Mikhail Bridges type and I understand those are like crazy good names I get it but they need a wing who can do these things like Lavert is cool but he's a guard he's not really like this 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 three who's gonna lock up on defense shoot threes and fit into their system more so to me it's very interesting and the writing is kind of on the wall Because I'm hearing people say Donovan Mitchell might not sign the extension. He might want to get traded. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But if this Cavs team continues to not have success, that could be a reality that this team heads towards. Because Darius Garland is still young. I think he could be a really good player. Jared Allen is locked up for a long time. He's also young. Maybe he can really figure out what he needs to figure out on the defensive end at a higher level, especially in terms of rebounding. Oh, hang on. Sorry, y'all. I'm kind of sick. So I'm trucking through this podcast, but y'all know me. Consistency is key. But anyway, um, Jared Allen, still young, still signed to a really good contract. Maybe he can improve. Evan Mobley is oozing with talent and potential. He's one of the best defenders last year. Runner up. For defensive player of the year that's super impressive maybe he also takes another step but for donovan mitchell and and darius garland you're gonna have to figure out how to be better against more physical defenses in situations where the spacing does not benefit you like that because that cleveland team is still going to be rough in spots and they're going to have to compromise offense and defense pretty much all the time with their current combination of talent in the front court and the back court. So it's interesting stuff. I don't know exactly what they're going to do to solve or figure out these situations, but we'll see. And um, I want to spend the rest of this time getting through the rest of the list. This second part isn't going to be too crazy. The Knicks, another team we got to talk about. The Knicks. So, so a lot of people did not respect the Knicks. They did not respect them. They did not think that they would be this good team. I always thought that was kind of funny because they're just, you know, good. Like they find a way to win games. Julius Randle just finds a way to hit the most bullshit shots known to man. Like crazy bad shots, but he hits them. And honestly, Jalen Brunson was the surprise of the season for a lot of people. For me, I knew Jalen Brunson would be legit because I've always felt, ever since he was drafted over in Dallas, that he was this great point guard off the bench who could like control pace and like calm the game down and make good decisions with the basketball. And what he did was that at a much higher role. I mean, he shot 40% on a high volume of threes. And in the playoffs, he was their best offensive player by far. And he brought a lot of continuity to their offense in terms of, I'm gonna take the ball, I'm gonna bully you up down low, and I'm gonna add my shot creation to a team that is severely lacking shot creation, like severely. There were basically no other plus offensive players on that roster in the playoffs like that. A lot of it was Jalen Brunson, ISO, take us home, please. Please do that. And that's what he did. So I think year two, for this Knicks team is actually gonna be good. Um, For whatever whatever reason, a lot of people think that their success was uh, this flash in the pan. I don't see Brunson getting any worse. I don't see the Knicks defense getting severely worse. I think they're just a team that is gonna be good and fight back. I think to win a championship though, you might have to move off of Randall because I don't see his game being that productive in the playoffs like that. I think he's a good talent but I just don't think he translates there and I would rather see Brunson with like another bigger wing who can play defense and shoot the three ball at a higher level than Randall, because I think what Brunson has shown is he's clearly going to be the number one option on this team in terms of shot creating and also the decision making because his decision making like his IQ as a player was very productive and very smart so we'll see. I don't don't know where they seed at the end of the day, but I do believe that they're gonna be a very productive team. And the last point for the regular season that I really wanna get to for this team that pretty much no one is really talking about like that, that's right, the Indiana Pacers. Yes, the Indiana Pacers. I feel like this is a team that a lot of people do not care about, but Tyrese Halliburton, had a very productive season, like very good season last year. Objectively, the playmaking was at a high level. He was doing great, great things. And when he was on the floor, that Indiana team, at one point, they were a top four lock. And then he got hurt and they lost like eight to nine to 10 games. And they just could not get over the hump. But this Indiana team signs Bruce Brown, I understand he got the bag he kind of got overpaid but I think Bruce Brown is really good so this team could be really good especially if Halliburton stays healthy because again the the Leafs you saw Halliburton take as a on-ball creator way more with the ball in his hands he was very productive very smart high IQ player doesn't make that many errors with his decision making he fits perfectly into what they want at a higher level he really really does So for me, how I look at it is you now have year two of Halliburton in that offense, in that system. Matherin could potentially take a leap and they got other productive players they drafted. This team is still very, very young. They still have Miles Turner, but they can be good. Now, are they a team that emerges and makes the playoffs in the East? I don't know. Me personally, I don't think the East is that strong. So it's possible. It wouldn't surprise me, but I think their immediate goal is to just come in, make the playoffs, potentially make the play-in. I think they will be good enough to to guarantee a playing spot. I think Chicago probably falls off of a cliff next season. We'll see what happens, but I like this Pacers team a lot, a lot. But overall, that's really the majority of the points I wanted to hit for the second part of this podcast. I wanna say I appreciate you guys. If you missed part one, go tap into part one. We talked about a lot of things on part one. So these are my biggest takeaways from last season and also me previewing pretty much the next season as well. So again, if you made it this far, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube side of things. We just hit a thousand and I feel very happy about that accomplishment. For me, I've spent a lot of time grinding like year after year after year. I've been doing YouTube for like two years. And I feel like I didn't understand how to get over my perfectionist urges. Because for me, I don't like to put out anything without like micro analyzing and examining it to like the fullest degree. And I had to get over that because I would literally sit on content and videos for like months trying to make it like as perfect as it can be and i'm learning more that the way to grow as a creator is to just be consistent just drop right so for me with this podcast what i'm going to do the entire off season is we're going to have a segment on each pod where we're breaking down each team all 30 teams on how their season went their vision for their future the long-term, where they fit in the NBA players. We're gonna focus on that because as a creator, I could then stay consistent. I can also learn more about the game, about specific teams with some insiders that I'll be having on the podcast as well. And it helps me like balance things compared to just sitting there waiting to drop something and not seeing where I could get better after I drop something. So that's the creator part of this podcast i guess but if you're interested uh to support me follow me on youtube at gifted hoops uh twitch at gifted hoops that might change later though because we will be gaming on the twitter i am bringing back gaming because i'm not just a hoop head i'm a gamer but for the purposes of the gifted hoops podcast make sure to follow it again on spotify apple Podcasts, and things of that nature I'm going to end this episode here. We'll catch you next week. The next podcast episode, I'm going to have a special guest on, and we're going to talk about some Denver Nuggets basketball, y'all. But, yeah, peace out. Have a good one, people.